Hi, I'm Sue. And I'm Rach. And this is the Georgia Hair Podcast. And in this episode, we're talking about cotillion. So, Sue, how you've been doing? Oh, um, so this this week has been my first full week back at work since the Christmas holiday. So, obviously, that's a complete yeah. horror show because oh, being off for two weeks, which in, and then coming back, it's always tricky, isn't it? But it was my lovely mum's birthday, so we went out for dinner, which was lovely. So I can't complain. Oh, um, nice. What about you? Yeah, it's been um, be nice. The Christmas holiday was good. Um, yeah, I've, I can't haven't really got much to show for the last month, but um, <laughs> it's been busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, we've got a lot to talk about today because we're talking about cotillion. So let's stop shilly shallying, our or dilly dallying. Um, and get into it. Are they words? Are they phrases? I don't know. Um, so dilly dally is definitely a phrase. Shilly shally. Oh, I'm not sure. sure how. <laughs> don't dilly dally on don't the way. Do- That's the song. On the way, it? yeah. I mean, we're definitely dilly dallying now. So come on. <laughs> right, I've got the summary. Kitty Charing's miserly guardian pledges to leave his entire fortune to her in his will, providing she marries one of his nephews. Since the rakish Jack refuses to be cornered into proposing, Kitty resorts to raping Freddie into a pretend engagement, which gives her an excuse to visit London for a month of the pleasures previously denied to her, not to mention a chance to make Jack jealous. In London, kind-hearted Kitty seems to have a knack for finding people who need help, but Freddie has a knack for coming up with plans to make everything alright, much to everyone's surprise. They manage to bring together Olivia and Camille and Dolph and Hannah, all while Kitty works out what kind of man would really make her happy. So what did you think of it, Rach? Oh, it was such a pleasure to read again. I was like, mm. there was points where I was, I, I was, I listened to it, um, mm. in the audiobook, and um, it just made me so happy to listen to it. It's the... <laughs> um, I think it's just a particularly enjoyable book. Like the 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 writing is witty, um, the mm. the characters are wonderful, um, mm. and um, it's just a really enjoyable book. Yes, I always love Hayes novels where they have lots of family interplay because I think she gets those relationships just right. You know, kind of the brothers squabbling at the beginning and things like that. Um, yeah, it really creates a believable world. But I messaged you halfway through reading it, didn't didn't I? Just saying, I love this so much. I'm mm. so happy. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's how it felt. Because this is the longest I've been without reading Cotillion. It, it's been probably about yeah. three years since I've read it. Because we've only been reading these books in the order that we've been doing them in the podcast. So yeah, it's like yeah. seeing an old friend you haven't seen yeah. for ages. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, there's just a, 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 quite a few little passages which are just, they're just delightful. They're just, re- they're just joyous little mm. passages, little, yeah, exchanges and, um, and, and laugh out loud funny, I think. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, should we start by looking at the character of Kitty? Yeah. Oh, and you're going to have to tell me, because you've listened to the audiobook, how you pronounce her guardian's name. Uh, Pennequick. Pennequick. Thank you. I was. Is it Pennequick? I don't listen that hard. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a podcast about it, Rachel. Give it some attention. I, I, I'm not good with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's okay. say that. Pennequick. Okay. Let's say it okay. really fast so you can't really hear what we're saying. <laughs> Um, yeah, so she could be quite a sad. She could be quite a sad character, couldn't she? Because like she hasn't had a. Yeah. So her mother and father. She's an orphan, um, mm-hmm. and without the without she was adopted by um, Mr. Pennequick, and um, but but you know he, as she says, you know that that was sort of the the last of his um, of his good. <laughs> intentions because then he's, he's quite miserly mm. and he's um he's basically yeah, massively so. kept her there and um he he you know he hasn't really given her any um let her have much um really haven't really let her go out into the world or, or really spent any money on her and um so she's had quite a difficult upbringing really hasn't she 
Yes, and there, there are some sad moments, I think, where she's talking to, to Freddie later on and she just says she'd really like some family, which is completely understandable. But um, Mr. Pennequick mm. took her in because, well, he was friends with her father, but I th- you get the impression that he was also in love with her mother, her French mother. Yeah, definitely. She, she, he has his her likeness, doesn't doesn't he, um, kept in a drawer somewhere, so that does sort of indicate mm. that uh, mm. he, he had feelings towards her. Although he makes it very clear that she is not his daughter. Yes. Shall we have a little description of her? Yeah. Miss Charing was a rather diminutive brunette. She had a neat figure, very pretty hands and feet, and a countenance which owed much to a pair of large dark eyes. Their expression was one of candour and of innocence, and she had a habit of fixing them earnestly, and sometimes disconcertingly, upon the face of any interculator. She had a slightly retrousse nose, a short upper lip, a decided chin and a profusion of dusky curls, which were dressed in the demure style which found favour in the eyes of her guardian and her governess. She wore a round robe of green cambric with a high waist and long sleeves, and one narrow flounce. A small gold locket was suspended round her throat by a ribbon. It was her only ornament. If Lord Binnington, a man of fashionable inclinations, felt that a few trinkets and a more modish gown would have improved her, it was plain that his brother surveyed her modest appearance with approbation. So, so yeah, she's stuck out in the middle of nowhere, but she's a pretty typical 19-year-old girl, I think, who just yeah. wants some romance and excitement. So yeah. it's not really surprising that she's clearly got a massive crush on her cousin, Jack Westrother. Well, uh, you know, her, who she calls her cousins or the great, mm, uh, the yeah. grand, uh, great nephews are really the only men she sees. So, mm. um, you know, him, he is obviously... Um, a typical um, hero type character just to, you know, to look at. And he's probably got mm. quite a lot of address and everything. So it's not really surprising, is it? No. That she um, falls for him. But I do like the fact that, you know, she does have this um, diminutive appearance, but she's actually quite spirited. And, and mm. she, you know, she shows that in, you know, she, she stands up for herself, um, even to her guardian. Um, she sort of stands up for herself and she doesn't, She's not um she's not diminutive in character, is she? No, no, not at all. I'd agree with that. I like the fact that um I, I think uh Hugh want, wants her to be this kind of mm. staid, quiet, modest young woman, and that's just not her. And she she wants excitement and fun and fashion. Yeah. And there's one point where, where she says she she cries out wistfully, I should like so much to be extravagant. Yeah. And you think, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, you've probably earned it. You've had a, you've had a, a pretty boring life so far. Yeah. I, I think she describes it well. So there's a, there's a bit where um, Mr. Pennequick has sort of announced this um, intention for mm. um, her to marry one of his um, grandnephews, and and she will get his fortune if she does. And she's, you know, not unreasonably saying this isn't, you know, what a terrible situation I'm in. And mm. um, Hugh is sort of telling her to calm down a bit. And she says, no, no, but you do not understand. You speak of his fortune and you know it to be large. Everyone says that. But I have no cause to suspect it. If he yielded to a generous impulse when he adopted me, at least he atoned for that during all these years. No, Hugh, I will not hush. Ask poor Fish what wage she has received from him for educating me. Ask her what shift she has often and often been put to to contrive that I should not be dressed in rags. Well, perhaps not rags precisely, but only look at this gown I am wearing. All three gentlemen obeyed her, but perhaps only Lord Binnington recognised the justice of her complaint. Hugh said, you look very well, Kitty, I assure you. There is neatness and propriety. I do not want neatness and propriety, interrupted Kitty, her cheeks flushed and her eyes sparkling. I want elegant dresses. I want to have my hair cut in the first style of fashion. I want to go to assemblies and to rout parties and to the theatre and to the opera and not be this poor little squab of a, squab of a dowdy. I really yes. like that speech because it sort of sums up like she's yeah. stuck and she just wants to get out in the world. She just wants to... Um, yeah you know, be be seen and be, yeah, and, and actually have some excitement. I, I love that she gets that dream shopping um, scene later on when yeah. she goes to London and Meg takes her shopping, I think, and uh, and she sort of contrives to let the let the um, modiste know that sort of just pretend the prices are low, like 
it's fine it's taken care of so she has this amazing whirlwind this kind of orgy of spending that um i mean i would love that i don't think there are many people who wouldn't love to be in that position yeah exactly um and she's young and she's innocent and optimistic Mm. but she's not silly or stupid like she's a no she's she's a very likable heroine isn't she yeah and i think she's got enough wisdom and common sense to recognize Mm. that freddie makes a better husband than jack any day of the week yeah yeah absolutely and 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 she's very kind as well like as you said in you said in that summary like she's um she she wants she goes out of her way to help um Dolph and Hannah and mm-hmm. um and Olivia and um Camille and it's just it, yeah. yeah it's um she she's she's yeah a, a nice a kind character as well and, and she's got spirit in that way as well yeah but there was one scene where I really felt tuned with her so it was when she'd gone to the Scorton's party and her host was introducing her to everyone there and uh there's just this stark line one of Haya's classics where it just says she immediately knew that it was going to be an awful evening or words to that effect and I think <laughs> I think we've all been in those situations where you've gone to a party or something and you've got oh it's gonna be a long night <laughs> yeah um so yeah K- Kitty is fantastic she's not one of the irritatingly naive younger ones she's got tons of charm as it should be because you know otherwise she wouldn't deserve Freddy so should we move on to Freddy <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful Freddy. So, in terms of his character, I would say he's one of the most um, underestimated heroes we've ever met. Um, Yeah. Even before we meet him, there's a reference... Someone makes a reference to him, sort of in the same... It's a, yeah. in a very dis- I think Kitty does it and she's very dismissive of him sort of dismisses him in the same sentence as Lord Dolphington you know it, yes oh, she says yeah. not that Freddie signifies a whit more than Dolphington here in, yeah and that's in regards to people who are showing up to propose to her yeah exactly it's a very dismissive and I think that's it isn't mm-hmm. it he, he he does tend to be you know, Jack dismisses him even his own father sort of dismisses him in the mm. beginning and then mm. the book's really about his well, so, uh, but, but then that does change throughout the book. And I really like the, the, the how that changes. Everyone's, a, he doesn't necessarily really change because you've got the feeling he's already, he's always got it in him. He's, you know, he's yeah. always had it in him this, but he's, yeah. he's never really been tested before. And that's what, um, and then everyone sees his worth. I, I like that. Yeah. Get, I'm not yeah. Sh- sure because you get, I think it, there's sort of a, a couple of hints that he's been looking out for Charlie for a long time. And yeah, he does keep absolutely. a bit of an eye on Meg. And I think his skills come to the fore more once he meets Kitty because Kitty puts him in more positions where he needs to come up with plans. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think he has always been taking care of his family and his and the people yeah, he cares I about. Think, I, think you're, I think you're right. And yeah, um, yeah, Meg made, makes a comment, doesn't he? Um, Char- mm. Charlie will always go to um freddie if if he needs um if he needs help and you think oh mm. okay so it's not just you know it, it it hasn't just been recently it's just no one's really seen it maybe yeah should we go to a description of him have a little, yes, a little passage which describes him well the young gentleman who alighted from the chain must have been recognized at the sight by the discerning as a pink of a tongue for although his judgment which in all matters of fashion was extremely nice had forbidden him to travel into the country arrayed in a long-tailed coat of blue superfine and pantaloons of delicate yellow and the tasseled hessian boots which marked him in the metropolis as a veritable tulip or bond street bow none but a regular dash patronizing the most exclusive of tailors could have presented himself in so exquisitely molded a riding coat such peerless breeches or such effulgent top boots the white tops of these which incontrovertibly proclaimed his dandyism, were hidden by the folds of a very long and voluminous driving coat, lined with silk embellished with several shoulder caps and secured across the chest by a double row of very large buttons of mother of pearl. Upon his brown locks, carefully 
anointed with Russian oil and cropped alatitis. He wore a high-crowned beaver hat and set it set at an elegant angle between rakish and the precise. On his hands were gloves of York tan. Under one arm, he carried a malacca cane. When he strolled into the inn and shed the somewhat deceptive driving coat, he was seen to be a slender young gentleman of average height and graceful carriage. His countenance was unarresting but amiable, and a certain vagueness characterised his demeanour. I really like that description because he's... Mm. That's what... You know, he um, he's sort of known as uh, a dandy, isn't he? And somebody that mm. is very is pink of the pink, an arbiter. Yeah, an arbiter of um, of of what's tunnish and what's mm. socially correct. And um, but then there's that nice bit at the end where he's got an amiable countenance. And I do like that certain vagueness characterised demeanour. You sort of got that sort of air of um, yeah. Yeah. Like, non-committal air. Mm. Um, there's also a nice description of his character, actually, a little bit later. I've got that here. Um, he was neither witty nor handsome. His disposition was retiring. And although he might be seen at any social gathering, he never, except by the excellence of his tailoring, drew attention to himself. Not for Mr. Standen, the tricks and eccentricities of gentlemen seeking notoriety. He was quite a pretty whip, but no one had ever seen him take a fly off the leader's ear, or heard of him breaking a record in a racing curricle. He rode well to the hounds, without earning the title of neck or nothing, and while he sometimes practised single stick in Jackson's boxing saloon, or tossed off a third of Daffy in Cribb's parlour, he was no Corinthian. Indeed, so far from aspiring to pop in a hit over Jackson's guard, or to stand up for any number of rounds with some pet of the fancy, he would have disliked either experience very much indeed. Nor could anyone have thought him an ideal cavalier savente, for he was too inarticulate to pay charming compliments, and he had never been known to indulge in the mildest flirtation. But a numerous circle of male acquaintances held him in considerable affection, and with the ladies he was a prime favourite. The most sought-after beauty was pleased to stand up with so graceful a dancer. Any lady desirous of redecorating her drawing-room was anxious for his advice. No hostess considered her invitation list complete without his name. His presence did not, of course, confer on a party the distinction that Mr Brummel's did, but he was a much more agreeable guest, never arriving long after he had been despaired of, and then departing within twenty minutes, and never startling the old-fashioned by uttering calculated impertinences. He could be depended upon, too. He would not stand against the wall refusing to dance, and no hostess presenting him to the plainest damsel in the room had the smallest fear that he would excuse himself or abandon his partner at the earliest opportunity. He was an excellent escort for any lady deprived at the last moment of her lord's attendance, for his appearance could not but add to her consequence, and he was always nice to a fault in every attention to her comfort. Nor was the most jealous husband suspicious of him. Oh, Freddie Standard, said these green-eyed gentlemen. In that case, ma'am, very well. So that's quite a host of uh, attributes he has there. Yeah, and I think it's just sort of getting through, getting across the idea that he's um, he, he's not he's basically just a nice guy, isn't he? And and he's he, he's not um, he's not a great sportsman. He's not a he's not a great wit. He's just mm. um, just somebody of yeah, just a basically a nice guy who who um, who doesn't think of himself too much above his company. Won't go out of his way to be difficult and yeah, yeah. Yeah, very considerate. I I think a good example of his kindness is when um, Olivia is about to elope with Camille and he realises mm. that Meg would have neglected to send her away with a hairbrush, comb and toothbrush. So he just pops out and buys them for Olivia as a wedding present. Yeah. Um, he, he thinks of those little things and he, he, he shows that kindness. But what I do like about Freddie is that he's not wishy-washy. He's not weak. So there are a few moments yeah. where... For example, he stands up to Mr. Pennequick at the beginning. I think um, Mr. Pennequick says something along the lines of, of course, it's not my business how much your mother spends on her wardrobe. And Freddie just says, no, yeah, you're quite right. It's not. It's not your business. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, when Kitty's worried about what Lady Dolphington might say mm. to her, he just says, well, we'll just walk away. He's, he's yeah. got this kind of um, resilience and, and common yeah. sense. That, that really um protects him yeah yeah definitely um and i do and you know he 
so he he is slightly self-deprecating but he mm. um about, about his intelligence certainly yeah but i do like he does have faith in himself so so um when he's it is an amusing conversation between himself and and lord ledger his father um mm. about the sticky situation they find themselves in when he brings kitty to town but the house is full of measles um mm. and so what you know what's going to happen now kitty can't really stay in the house and um, lady ledger can't take her about and um and he sort of, oh, I'm going to, um, I'll have to think of something, to, you know, think of a way around that. And Lord Edgewood is, do, do you think you can? And he said, well, bound to, I have to, sort of thing. It's yeah. like this, this thing of, a, well, no, I, I have to think of something, so I will. So, um, and he's yeah. got faith in it, it, it'll all turn out okay and he'll work something out, um, even yeah. though others don't have that faith in him. And, and there's almost a... um there's a ruthlessness to that as well I think so when it seemed like Camille might cause problems for Kitty um Freddie was just very straightforward mm. and I think it was to his father again that just said well I'll have to get rid of him then and yeah. <laughs> and he managed it he managed it with with a <laughs> plum and then, then yeah. yeah there are a couple of bits with Jack where I think we see a bit of grit um from Freddie mm. not not the punching bit which is great but we'll come to that later I imagine but um I think at one point Freddie is probing Jack about why he introduced Camille into uh, Kitty's Kitty's life, and he makes a comment towards Jack with um, unusual dryness. And there's just this—you feel like he's, there's a shades of his father, Lord Ledgerwood, in him on occasion, yeah. where he does—he can do that kind of hotter, hotter, yeah, no, and and hotel, like where he, hotel, um, yeah. hotel. <laughs> yeah. and like when he um, removes Kitty from the Scortons masquerade ball mm. and he you know you suddenly see him being very formal and then also in the very final scene um freddie's explaining how he managed to send olivia off with camille and jack says oh i think you've got some explaining to do and freddie just says very coolly yes but not to you yeah and i love that yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely and I really like how well, and we'll get onto the wonderful Lord Edgewood, but um, I really like how his um, opinion of Freddie changes from the beginning yes. of the book to the end of the book. So he hasn't, yeah. you know, he, he's quite dismissive of his of his son that's nursing, like um, not really believing in his ability to, you know, come up with these um, answers mm. to the, the the problems or um, not really seeing his worth, and then um, at the end. And, and, you know, a little bit, um, you know, sort of roasts him a little bit, doesn't he, when uh, about his ability to do it. And um, mm. it's a t- not not mean, but is it just a tiny mm. bit um, sardonic with him? And then... Yeah, I've got, I've, I've got issues in that respect, but maybe it's best we come to Lord Leisurewood at the end. Yeah, I just like it. The, at the end, then, you've got... He, he, that completely turns around and actually he's got a lot of... Um, He's got a lot of faith in the, in the end and sort of trusts yeah. him to look after the girls. and Yeah, mm, yeah, that is really sweet. Um, reading this this book, it did strike me, or I questioned rather, is Freddy the only Haya hero that the reader is invited to laugh at? I think so, there yeah. might be a few where it's like quite a staid, fusty person. Not fusty, but... Um, I'm thinking of someone like like uh, Alva Stoke in Frederica who has young children foisted upon him and we sort of have to see him um, deal with that. And that's humorous in a way. But with Freddie, it feels a little bit more, oh, yeah, no, he'd say so. I, I, yeah, I don't know. We, we laugh at him more, I think. I think that's right. And then th- there's a bit towards the end where M- Megan kitty are talking about freddie yes. and his reaction to a hero you know do, do, they, they, and they're having a bit of a laugh at him as well mm. but it's it's done in a kind way yeah they also think very highly of him i, I think it's just he's just you know yeah i guess there's the bit about the um the elgin marbles where mm. we're definitely invited to to laugh at him yeah but yeah, but I just yeah, it, 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 he is a different kind of hero. Definitely, he's a different. Entirely. He's very differently kind of. He's a very different kind of hero than I can't think of any hero like him in another hate novel. Yeah, 
I think Gilly is maybe the closest you get. Y- yeah, maybe. But he goes through much, he goes through more of a transformation, I mm. think. Mm. The, uh, no, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, they're not, they're not that alike, but that, that's just the closest I can come up with, I think. Yeah, he's not a tradition, he's not an alpha male, is he? Um, no, or what, what is it, a type A? Yeah. Hey, hero? Type A, yeah. Okay. Uh, we've spoken about Kitty and Freddy individually. Should we talk about their romance? I like, I mean, they really go from one extreme to the other, don't they? Because it starts off with Kitty sort of briefly runs away from her home. Well, I haven't really thought it through. Ends up at the inn where Freddy has stopped to get a meal. Um, and he, she has to explain to him what's going what he's in store for when he arrives at Arnside. And he is amusingly, if not a little insultingly, horrified at his near miss. You know, he the thought that he might have been <laughs> cornered into proposing to Kitty is, is yeah, horrific to him. And I think Kitty is a little bit offended by just how much he hates that idea. But she ends up proposing. I don't think you see this very often in a Haya book, do you, if at all? No. The heroine proposes. Very forward, in fact. <laughs> yeah, I think I have that bit. Um, Freddie, said Miss Charing suddenly, turning her expressive eyes towards him. He gave a slight start and let his quizzing glass fall. Thinking of something else, he excused himself. Freddie, you are quite sure you don't want to marry me, aren't you? He looked a little alarmed, for she spoke with a degree of urgency which made him feel uneasy. Yes, he said. He added apologetically. Very fond of you, Kit. Always was. Thing is, not a marrying man. Then, Freddy, will you be so very obliging as to be betrothed to me? Said Miss Charing, breathlessly. And then we move straight on to the next chapter. Mm. Uh, For a stunned moment, Mr. Standen stared into the dark eyes so beseechingly on his face. His horrified gaze, wavering, fell upon the tumbler still clasped in Miss Charing's hand. A certain measure of relief entered his face. He removed the half-empty glass and set it down safely out of Miss Charing's reach. Ought never to have given it to you, he said in self-accusatory tones. No, no, Freddy. Indeed, I'm not inebriated. Lord, no, Kit, nothing of that sort. Just a little bit on the go. Call for some coffee. Soon set you to rights. So, so yeah, the landlord, <laughs> I think, brought in some very strong rum punch as an excuse to be in there and eavesdrop. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there is that kind of suggestion that both of them are kind of drunk by the time that they agreed to this course of action yeah. yeah i do that the um i do like the description of um yeah the kitty a, a, a warm glow has come over her a, a little bit so she's maybe a little bit a little bit that you can sort of that that feeling of oh it's yeah <laughs> that's just the nicest level of drunkness isn't it yeah a warm glow. exactly mm. um but then they have to return to arnside don't they yeah. Um, and I think Kitty sneaks in the back entrance. Freddie makes his appearance, and uh, once they announce the engagement, uh, Kitty's <laughs> governess Fish just starts quoting every awful romantic <laughs> poet and novel um, available, and Freddie has no idea what she is talking about, and it, it's fantastic. Yeah, and so Kitty definitely has to persuade um, Freddie into this, mm. but actually once. Once she's done that, he he then commits, doesn't he? Bless him. Yeah. He, he, yeah. You know, it, so there's a few doubts maybe the next day, and the the rum punch <laughs> is is blamed. But <laughs> yeah. um, but he does, you know, go for it. He goes, he goes to his mother and father. He completely um, <laughs> sort of with a straight face. Um, uh, uh, you know, follows that that that, that through, and um, mm. you know, and places it off and everything. And so um, he he does commit to it once he's once he's agreed to it and, and and actually he's persuaded in the end when she sort of when she uses um strategic tears yeah <laughs> strategic tears yeah. because he's kind-hearted and mm-hmm. can see the situations he's yeah in so yeah that just speaks to his kindness doesn't it it does and once they're in london together they they do seem to have a really nice yeah. time. Like he teaches Kitty to waltz and whoever teaches yeah. a girl to waltz, that's obviously the partnership that's going to work out because yeah. it just feels like such a romantic thing to do. K- 
Kitty manages to get him jauntering all around town, going to exactly the kind of exhibits and buildings that he absolutely hates. But because we know he's the kind of man that is always very considerate to his partner, he goes along with it. Um, yeah. Obviously, there is the Parthenon Marbles at Burlington House, which is a particular highlight. So I think, I think it's mm-hmm. worth just having a quick look at that. <laughs> yeah. So Kitty says, oh, Meg said I must go to see the marbles which Lord Elgin brought back from Greece. She says everyone has seen them. They're at Burlington House, she told me. Freddie said severely that it was a pity she had not remembered the marbles before they came to Hanover Square, but he gave the direction to the coachman and confided, as the carriage wended its way south again, that he would not object to taking a look at them. Juice of a dust kicked up about him, he said. Seemed to be all the crack, though. But when, having, as he put it, dropped the blunt for two tickets of admission and a catalogue, he confronted these treasures of ancient Greece... He was quite dumbfounded, and only recovered his voice when he was called upon to admire the three fates from the East Impediment. Dash it! They've got no heads! He protested. No, but you see, Freddy, they're so very old. They've been damaged, explained Miss Charing. Damaged? I should rather think so. They haven't got any arms, either. Well, if this don't be the Dutch, just look at this kit. Birth of Athene from the reign of Zeus, said Kitty, consulting the catalogue. Birth of Athene from what? The central groups, which are the most important feature of the composition, are missing, said Kitty in propitiating accents. And the catalogue says that the metopes are not in good preservation either, so perhaps we should just study the frieze, which is excessively beautiful. But the disclosure that he had been maced of his blunt by a set of persons whom he freely characterised as hellkites, only to see a collection of marbles of which the main parts were missing, so worked upon him that he could not be brought to recognise the merits of the frieze, but seemed instead to be so much inclined to seek out the author of this attempt to go the public, that Kitty hastily announced her wish to visit St Paul's Cathedral and coaxed him out of the building. So yeah, he's he's on the edge of writing a very stern letter, isn't he? <laughs> I think he even does ask his father if anything can be done about it. That's that's a lovely conversation that comes later, isn't it? Because <laughs> I think he wants to talk to his dad about something else, but he's already mentioned this trip to see the marbles. And his dad is like, he gets distracted. Oh, no, yeah. you're going to have to tell me that story first. I want to hear about you seeing <laughs> yeah. these marbles. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all. And, and I guess and this, so in the, the whole middle of the book is, is basically him you know her getting into the sort of little not little scrapes but um mm. his responsibility building and, and he, yeah. him coming to her rescue a lot and you don't really get much of an inkling of a romance I think maybe until there's a bit um it, it's when he finds out that so he, um she's been helping Lord Dolphin and, and Hannah um see each see each other um uh, sort of dupe his mother um mm. and then freddie um sort of follows them into an art gallery is it um where he sort of sees them mm. going together because he's like, well, you know come on what what what's going on i can't stand for looking like i'm going to be jilted for dolph and yeah. um and so sort of he confronts her and then he, he explains the whole thing sorry she explains the whole thing um, and they're having a conversation afterwards. Um, tell you what, Kit, you've got too kind a heart. A smile swept across her face. Oh, Freddie, how absurd you are. When you have a much kinder one than I have. No, really, Kit, protested Freddie, revolted. Haven't got anything of the sort. Been on the town for years. Yes, you have, averted Kitty, lifting his hand to her cheek for a brief moment. And when I consider how dreadfully I've imposed upon you. Oh, well, at least I promise I won't embroil you in this business. You won't object to it if I help them, for it's the most shocking thing, Freddy. I could not speak of it with Dolph standing by, but Lady Dolphinton holds him in subjection by threatening to have him shut up as a lunatic, and that he is not. You don't mean, exclaimed Freddy, much struck. Of course he ain't a lunatic. Got no brain, that's all. Well, I ain't got any either. But you wouldn't say that I was lunatic, would you? No, and you have got brains, Freddy, said Kitty indignantly. Mr. Standen, already shaken by having his hand rubbed worshipfully against a lady's cheek, gobbled at her. You think I've got brains, he said, awed, not confusing me with Charlie. Charlie, uttered Miss Charing contemptuously. I dare say he is book-learning, but you, you have addressed addressed Freddy. Well, by Jove," said Mister Standen, dazzled by this new vision of himself. <laughs> um, so, that is lovely. 
yeah horrified at the thought he might be kind-hearted yeah yeah (laughs) um but sort of like i think so we say there's that little bit there that is a bit like she makes him see himself in a different way Mm, a little bit mm, and mm. i think that's the first sort of affectionate moment toward uh, between between them maybe and you sort of get an inclination okay yeah there was one uh, scene just a little bit before that that I, I thought was was telling um, perhaps not romantic but just a bit, a bit indicative of Kitty's feelings so Kitty is dancing with Jack when they came together again she asked him if he did not think Freddie a beautiful dancer certainly the best in town he responded one might say that it is his only accomplishment unless you hold his tailoring to be an accomplishment that is not a proper mode in which to speak of Freddie to me she countered forthrightly don't be absurd, Kitty. She disregarded this, but said seriously, I think Freddy has what is better than accomplishments, a kind heart. Or do you mean a yielding disposition, said Mr. Westrother, quizzing her. Poor Freddy. She flushed. He's your cousin, and you may sneer at him if you choose, but you should not do so to me, Jack. You are mistaken. The emotion that fills my breast is not contempt, but compassion. For the second time in her life, Miss Charing was conscious of a strong desire to slap that handsome, mocking face. She controlled it, saying in a repressive tone, I believe that he may yet surprise you. He has surprised me, replied Mr. Westrother. Miss Charing could only be glad when the dance ended. So yeah, again, mm. she's referring to his to Freddie's kind heart, and she <laughs> has definitely had her eyes open to Jack's faults, hasn't, hasn't she? Yeah, I, I think that's it, isn't it? It's sort of, you see the comparison being made there and mm. the, and the switch yeah the switch in her definitely to um actually seeing jack as you know the uh rascal <laughs> he is and um and, and compared to the worth of freddie yes i use the word rascal <laughs> and i loved it uh there is a a, a bit um when Kitty suddenly realises that uh, Jack um, has an interest in Olivia. Yeah. So she says, uh, the passage says, much that she had not previously understood now became plain to her, opening and shutting her fan and staring with unseeing eyes at the medallions painted on its leaf. She wondered in a curiously detached way how it came about that her most pronounced emotion was a feeling of disgust. Jack wishes to marry Olivia, she said slowly. And she's talking to Camille here. Marry? No, he returned. Pardon, you know him well. You have perhaps a kindness for him. I should not have allowed myself to speak. Um, I mean, obviously you would have known it was Camille because of my amazing French accent. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that she has a feeling of disgust when she thinks that Jack might marry Olivia. Is that disgust of... But I, I don't know. Does it, she also have that, that feeling that Olivia is beneath, beneath them? Or is it about something else? No, because it's not, it's not, um, he's not going to marry Olivia, is he? Well, I think at that, when she says that, she doesn't know that it's it's not marriage. Mm. Mm. Okay. No, I don't think it's that. I, well, um, no, I, did, well, I wouldn't have, I didn't interpret it as disgust at that. No. Um, I don't know, yeah. Maybe just the, the kind of, um seediness of the situation yeah I, I think it's the seediness of it yeah mm. um yeah but yeah. moving away from Jack because he's just a distraction really isn't he um can we skip ahead to when Freddie rescues her from the masked ball yes we can um so it's been a hell of an evening for Kitty hasn't it um she's with people yeah. she doesn't know she's kind of got the idea early on oh I should not have come to this but she didn't really have a way of getting out of it um and she's ended up going to this masked ball that's getting swiftly out of hand. And uh, by this point in the evening, she's just kind of sitting by herself in the box, um, hoping that no one bothers her. She withdrew to a chair at the back of the box, trying to compose her disordered nerves, but was startled a few minutes later by feeling a touch on her shoulder. Such had been the experiences of this disastrous evening that she uttered a cry and shrank away from the hand. A familiar and most welcome voice smote her ears. No, really, Kit, it said. No need to screech. Only me. Freddy, she cried, turning sharply in her chair. Oh, how thankful I am. How in the world did you know I was here? And then Freddy explains how he came to be there. 
and uh, Kitty says, Will Mrs. Scorton be offended if you take me home? I would give anything to escape from this vulgar place. Don't signify if she is, he replied, patting her shoulder in a soothing way. No business to bring you here. You leave it to me. Oh yes, she sighed gratefully. You will know just how to do. She was perfectly right. Upon Mrs. Scorton's reappearance, she found herself confronted, not by the fall of his family, but by the Honourable Frederick Standen, a pink of the pinks, who knew to a nicety how to blend courtesy with hauteur, and who informed her with exquisite politeness that he rather fancied his cousin was tired and would like to be taken home. Um, and then a little bit later, she says to him, I was in flat despair, but oh, Freddie, I could not help wishing you had been present at the dreadful dinner party. Um, only if you had been and we'd exchanged glances, I know I must have gone into whoops. So it's perhaps as well that you were not. And I always think yeah. the person that, you know, you, you know you can't risk looking at over a dinner table in case you burst into into laughter, that's that's a very special yeah. connection you've got with someone, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. They're on a wavelength. Yeah. And then you've got this um this exchange between them where sort of she's so she's sort of realizing the situation that 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 she's in now so mm. um I think they're talking so and then there is myself kitty said and i can't tell you how it has come about but i have done nothing of what i intended freddie you must not continue in this fashion it was very wrong of me ever to ask such a thing of you wrong and so foolish that i have i'm amazed at myself only see what has come of it dash it kit thought you were enjoying yourself said freddie a little hurt she turned impulsively towards him. Oh, it has been the most delightful thing that's ever happened to me, she said. I shall remember it my whole life and never was so happy, but it must end. Oh, on that I am resolved. We must consider what is best to be done. Talk it over when I come back from Oxford, said Freddy. <laughs> Perhaps, said Kitty, the thing would be for us to quarrel. No, dash it, I don't want to quarrel with you. And I'm sure that I could never quarrel with you, Freddie, said Kitty warmly. There you are then, no sense in it. I, I, I meant only that we should pretend to quarrel. Wouldn't answer at all, said Freddie. Everyone knows I ain't quarrelsome. Tell you what, Kit, good notion if we don't tease ourselves about that till we've packed your cousin off to France. Got to pack Dolph off to Ireland too. But you said you wished I would not. Oh well, said Freddie in a temporising spirit. I'd liefer you did that than start quarrelling with me. Come to think of it, he ain't such a bad notion. Might as well be rid of Dolph while we're about it. Mind, I don't dislike the poor fellow, but it ain't what I choose having a cousin who's queer in his attic loose on the town. No, indeed. Oh dear, I cannot help wishing that you were not obliged to go to Oxford tomorrow. No need to worry about that, said Freddie kindly. Shan't stay above a night there, and I don't mean to dawdle on the road. Hire a chaise and four. Won't take me much above four hours to get back to town. Make an early start and I'll be in London by noon. No time for anything to go amiss here. Besides, no reason why anything should. Wouldn't go if there was. Famous last words. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then everything does go wrong. But just that little exchange, I think, shows yeah. a couple of things. Like, that she know, knows that Jack is not what she wants anymore, mm-hmm. I think, because she's given up on that plan, I think, you can tell from that yeah. passage. And actually, he doesn't want this to end mm. and he doesn't he doesn't really want the engagement to end and he does he's no intention of uh, of of letting it i guess yeah well he, you know he yeah oh god the proposal bit's so amazing um <laughs> so then we have a mad a mad few pages where um <laughs> Kitty takes Dolph and Hannah and goes up to Hugh with the intention of getting Hugh to marry them, um, but forgetting the special license. Yeah. Um, but of course, Freddie comes to the rescue. Yeah, of course he does. Freddie reads Kitty's letter, which is extensive and mentions every little detail of her plan, but not getting a special license. So Freddie very, very wisely realizes she probably forgot. So he goes and sorts out the special license. Also, um, Olivia shows up on the doorstep and he packs her off with Camille to France mm-hmm. um, very high-handedly, very effectively big fan of that plan and then he races off up north so while he's doing all of that uh, Kitty, Hannah and Dolph are with Hugh Hugh's very annoyed, doesn't want to marry um, 
Dolph and Hannah immediately. Um, Jack arrives on the scene and he's furious because he's got wind that uh, he he might be about to lose his chance of the inheritance because Fish and Mr. Pennequick have um, got engaged, (laughs) Um, which is a mad bit of plot, really. But hey, um, (laughs) it really is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh so everything is absolutely chaotic. Dolph is diving in and out of a cupboard or under a table. Um everyone's at their wits end. And then at the most perfect moment, Freddie appears. And I have to read this section. The door into the parlour was opened. Mr. Standen, sir, announced Mr. Armathwaite placidly. Surprise held the company silent for for perhaps thirty seconds. Mr. Standen, not a hair out of place, walked into the room, found that five pairs of eyes were staring at him in astonishment, and said apologetically, Thought you might be needing me. No wish to intrude. Kitty found her voice. Freddy! she cried thankfully, hurrying towards him. Oh, how glad I am to see you. We're in such a dreadful fix and I don't know what to do. Thought very likely you would be, said Freddy. Not sure, mind you, but I had a strong notion you'd forgot to buy the special licence. Kitty caught his hand. Freddy, you have not brought one, she demanded incredulously. Yes, I have, he replied. That's why I came. For the second time in her life, Miss Charing lifted her hand to her cheek. Oh, Freddy, I might have known you would come to our rescue, she said in a choked voice. Mr. Westworther, who had been watching them with an odd expression on his face, shut his snuffbox with a snap. So that's just... Obviously, Jack sees that scene between the two of them and goes, oh... Oh, I've got it wrong. <laughs> They're in love. Um, but I, the bit where it says that um, the company fell silent for perhaps 30 seconds when Freddie walks in, and I, that's a really long time. I refuse to believe that. Five seconds tops. I know. But yeah, I, I love the fact <laughs> that you didn't have a hair out of place. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a proper moment. Yeah, yeah. It's probably, he, he's, it's, that, it's that idea that it's Freddie that has come and then it makes everything is now okay because Freddie's turned up because he's the hero yeah yeah and Jack sees their immediate sort of connection yeah doesn't take it too well does he <laughs> um he, he rallies but but yeah initially he, he takes it badly mm. um and then yeah Jack kind of gets involved and uh and he's raising the, the issue of fish um being engaged to Mr Pennequick so Jack says well, Freddy, said Mr. Westworth, do you think it excellent, or does some grain of common sense exist in your mind? Not my fair, said Freddy. At least, come to think of it, I'm not sure it isn't. In which case, I do think it an excellent thing. What I mean is, I don't want that woman living with us, and if she marries my great uncle, she dash well can't. Miss Charing's cheeks became flooded with colour. But, but Freddy, she faltered. Mr. Westworth laughed. Just so, my love. You have been so busily employed in making what I can only call infelicitous matches that you have left your own future out of account, have you not? Um, and then I guess we, we might as well go on to it. He, um, yeah. he takes a step towards her. Miss Charing took a step backward. If you please, Jack, she said rather breathlessly, no more. Oh, nonsense, Kitty, nonsense, Mr. Westworth said impatiently. This folly has gone far enough. Miss Charing swallowed and managed to say, I collect that you mean to ask me to marry you, but but I beg you or not, if you had come that day, I should have accepted your offer, which would have been a very great mistake, and makes me so deeply thankful now that you did not come. Pray, Jack, say no more. He paid no heed to this, but said, The fair Olivia admitted you a little too deeply into her confidence, did she? I was afraid she would. Don't trouble your pretty head for such a trifle as that, Kitty. You alone that I have borne with tolerable equanimity this news that she has fled to France with your enterprising cousin. No, no, it is not that. I can't tell what it is, only that perhaps I've changed, or or something of that nature, said Kitty. And indeed, Jack, I'm excessively fond of you, and I dare say I shall always be, in spite of knowing that you are quite odiously selfish. But if you not be very much offended, I would much prefer not to be married to you. And then, skipping forward a little bit. So that's it, is it? He said quite softly. George was right, after all. Dolphington was a little too much for you to swallow but you had indeed set your heart on a title and a great position. And so you laid the cleverest trap for Freddy that I have ever been privileged to see. You cunning little jade. It was at this point that Mr. Standen, that most exquisite of pinks, astounded the assembled company, himself included, by knocking him down. 
For this, two circumstances were largely responsible. He took Mr Westrother entirely unawares, and Mr Westrother, recoiling from the blow, tripped over a small footstool, lost his balance, and fell heavily. Good God, said the rector, forgetting his cloth. Well done, Freddy. A nice flush hit. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, it's I love that. It's such a good think, scene, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a line right at the beginning of the story, I think, where um, Jack's, Jack's being a bit smug on the dance floor towards Freddy, and Freddy says that he knew that he knew a moment of really wanting to land his cousin a facer. And he, you know what? By the end of the book, he manages it. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such a good scene that, and and I do like the fact that, like, even he admits it was in a particular circumstance. The can only do it reason why he managed to do it <laughs> was because it it took him unawares. <laughs> but everyone's like, no, no, no. Yeah, enough. I love it. Like, he deserved like... it though. <laughs> And Dolph just really wants a fight and he's like suggesting they go out yeah. to the garden, I think, to make a proper <laughs> mill of it or something. <laughs> um, Hugh apparently was a bit of a boxer in his day, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I do like I, the Dolph, the Dolphington bit. It was like in high glee, he called upon um, Miss um, Plimstock, sorry, Miss Plimstock to observe that Freddie had floored Jack. And begged Freddy to do it again. But I do like the fact that poor so poor Jack, so he's not not poor Jack because he said something horrible, but um he's sort of on yeah. the floor falling over, and then Dolph's like, Do you see that? Do you see that? He's on the floor. <laughs> Freddie's floored him. Yeah. Really rubbing it in. Dolph does Dolph does have a knack for that, doesn't he? Because I think at the beginning yeah. when um he kept telling Lord Biddington that he wasn't invited. No one wanted him there. And he just repeats <laughs> yes. it over and over again. <laughs> okay. It's yeah. fantastic. And also the repeating over and again of, of, his, of his favourite cousins in order as well. I yes. do quite like that. <laughs> because it, like, right. it really rubs it in. It's like, you are one of my least favourite cousins. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But then, of course, we get to the best bit. Um, oh. And K- Kitty explains that one of the reasons she didn't want to tell... Um, Freddie about her plan for Dolph and Hannah was because then he could stay out of it and he wouldn't get any trouble. Um, I I wanted so much not to drag you into it, said Kitty remorsefully. I thought if only you knew nothing about it, it would serve as a reason for you to put an end to our engagement. Yes, I know you did. Told me so in that letter you wrote me. Dash court brain notion. Stands to reason if you're in it, I must be too. No, Freddie, it does not, said Kitty in a constricted tone. You know, it is all a hoax, our engagement. I am determined to end it. I ought never, never to have thought of such a thing. Now, Kit, don't say we must quarrel, because I won't do it, begged Freddy. Oh no, how could I quarrel with you? I think we should tell everyone that we we find we're not suited. No, we shouldn't, said Freddy. Silly thing to say, because everyone must know it ain't true. Got a better notion. Dare say you won't like it, but it's what I should like. What is it? asked Miss Charing, rather huskily. Send that dash notice to the Gazette and get married, replied Freddy. Something that sounded suspiciously like a sob broke from Miss Charing. Oh, no, no, Freddy, pray do not. You know it was all my doing. You never wanted to be engaged to me. No, I didn't, he acknowledged. Thing is, changed my mind. Haven't said anything, because, to tell you the truth, I thought Jack was right. Got engaged to me to make him jealous. Miss Charing blew her nose. I did. I was utterly wicked and shameless and stupid. No, no, very understandable thing to do. Devil of a fellow, Jack. Trouble is, wouldn't make you a good husband, Kit. Been worrying me for a long time. Thought you was in love with him. Don't mind telling you, it was all, as much as I could do to keep a still tongue in my head when he asked you to marry him tonight. What I mean is, I'd like you to have everything you want. Wished it was me and not Jack, that's all. Miss Charing raised her face from a handkerchief. I was never in love with Jack in my life, she said. I thought I was, but I know now it was no such thing. He seemed just like all the heroes in books, but I soon found out that he's not like them at all. No, agreed Freddy. I'm afraid I ain't either, Kit. Of course you're not. No one is. And if somebody was, I should think him quite odious. You would, said Freddy, hopefully. I must say, Kit, I think you would too. But what I mean is, if you ever met anyone like that fellow that Fish talked of, fellow who snatched up some female in the middle of a party and threw her on his horse, dashed embarrassing, you know, wouldn't like it at all. No, indeed I shouldn't. You don't feel you could marry me instead. I've got no brains, of course, and I ain't a handsome fellow like Jack. But I love you. Don't think I could ever love anyone else. Dare say it ain't any use telling you, but... Well, there it is. Oh, Freddy. Freddy! Sobbed Miss Charing. 
No, no, Kit, don't cry, begged Freddy, putting his arm around her. Can't bear you not to be happy. I won't say another word. Never thought there was any hope for me. Just wanted to tell you. Freddy, I love you with all my heart, Kitty said, turning within his arm and casting both her own round his neck. Much, much more than you could possibly love me. You do? exclaimed Freddy, tightening his hold. Well, by Jove. Here, take this dash bonnet off. How the deuce am I to kiss you with a lot of cursed feathers in my face? He found the strings, tugged ruthlessly at them, and cast the offending bonnet aside. That's better. Been wanting to kiss you for weeks. Miss Charing, assisting him to achieve this ambition, was for some moments unable to make any remark, but the rude handling of her headgear seemed to her to call for reproof, and she presently murmured with her head on his shoulder, I dare say my bonnet is quite ruined. If it comes to that, I'm dashed sure my neckcloth is, said Mr. Standen. It don't signify about the bonnet. I don't like it above half. Buy a new one. No, just a set of garnets, said Kitty with a tiny gurgle. Garnets, said Freddy scornfully. You don't suppose I'm going to buy you trumpery things like that, do you? I've got my eye on some good rubies. Just the thing. Oh no, Freddy. And don't you say oh no, because now that we really are engaged, I can dashed well give you anything I like. Yes, Freddy, said Miss Charing meekly. <sighs> oh, it is such a wonderful ending, isn't it? He's been wanting to kiss her for weeks. He's like a strangely... Yeah, I, I think he's a strangely asexual character in some ways, or, or people see him in that way. That's why, other, why women's husbands don't mind him squiring their ladies about. But obviously he does have those feelings yeah. for yeah. Kitty. Um, yeah, so how lovely. How lovely. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's such... Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's one of the best endings it ra- everything's wrapped up yes i was thinking about nicely. that nicely i i love the ending where everyone comes together and it's a yes. total mess and then you know we get we get the uniting of the two two people um and i was thinking the unknown ajax is really up there for me on that one mm. yeah it it's it's the one scene that wraps it all up isn't it that is that yeah a grand sophie mm. is a bit like that as well there's that there's that ending at the end oh yeah yeah so the ducklings running around. Yeah, I remember. Mm. Um, what I do feel is missing. Um, I want a scene at the end where Lord Ledgerwood finds out just how amazing Freddie is. Oh, I think he knows by this point, doesn't he? I don't think he'd be surprised that he... I know, but it's such a good story. All these... No, no, perhaps not surprised. I mean, he'd love to hear this story, definitely. But I don't think he'd be surprised in this story anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, good point. Um, Should we talk about Lord Ledgerwood? Yeah. Because for a character that has relatively few words, I I feel like the Hayer public love him. Yeah. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Because it feels like he is... um, He's hero material in another life, in an in an earlier life, doesn't it? Mm. It feels like he could have, it could be, mm. he's sort mm. of introduced a bit like, you know, one of like the the saga type ones where you 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 know the character and this is like a reintroduction to him. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's a little bit like um, we sort of know him as a mm. former hero and then he's sort of reintroduced into this book, but but we don't. And but and um, yeah, it just goes to show how good a writer Hayer is. I think. Well, yeah, exactly. Like you, so you feel like you know him. Um, I think Kitty meets him first. She's waiting yeah. for uh, Freddie to talk to his mother and explain about the proposal. And he just comes into the room. And uh, he's just super suave, isn't he? He's stylish, urbane, charming, obviously very intelligent. Um, but even then, he does make a sneaky remark about uh, asking Kitty to explain things to him because uh, he always gets confused yeah. when Freddie tries to explain something to him. I mean, he's definitely um, got a sardonic manner, hasn't he? Yeah, I I do feel uncomfortable with him, kind of mocking Freddie to his face. Clearly, not expecting to Freddie to understand that he's being mocked. Um, yeah, that that feels. I don't uncomfortable. think he does it in a really nasty way, though. Not nasty, not really nasty, but yeah, it makes me a, a touch uncomfortable. Like when he calls Freddie unworthy game. Um, yeah, it's a, that is a bit. Yeah, yeah. that just I, I don't I don't like that. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I think like you said earlier, 
um, the fact that by the end he says, Freddie will take good care of the girls. Um, yeah. And yeah, he says as well that to Kitty, I think that the engagement has done Freddie a, a good yeah. a deal of good. And like I said earlier, I think actually he had all those qualities before, but you see more of them with, with you see more instances of it with Kitty. But um, but yeah, I like the fact that that Lord Ledgerwood yeah. has a newfound respect for Freddie. But I think that's why that that's important. Like the beginning of the book, he's sort yeah. There's that there's that little bit of him making fun of him, but then um, mm. at the end, it, that that's not their relationship at all. So this. Um, so their relationship has improved and he's seeing them more he's seeing freddie more as an equal um because of his relationship with kitty and that's actually quite nice yeah yeah i I think one one of the bits i liked as well is um freddie was trying to explain to lord ledgewood he was saying oh do you know that chap it might have been camille actually and uh, lord ledgewood said something like oh the one with the big lapels and the so-and-so waistcoat and Freddie's like, yeah, that's the guy. And they they're obviously so stylish and into their fashion that they they've just almost got that shorthand with each other that that's how they can identify people, that they remember what people wear. Yeah. Yeah. Very stylish man. Um and I think I think obviously Freddie doesn't have his father's intelligence and nor will he ever, but he does have wisdom, as Kitty points out. He does he's very suave and urbane and uh and charming he's got common sense uh, as well yeah yeah so i think i think he he has inherited some of his his dad's best qualities yeah definitely um Mm. and then what do we think about jack then so he Mm. in a way he's got a lot of the characters of a hero so what you know one of the one of our rakish heroes so he is um you know he, he he's a corinthian um he's mm-hmm. um he, he's, a gambler. he's quite yeah uh, rakish um and, a flat. and you know but but i think i think the thing that make and i do wonder if they in another book would he be would he be a hero and then he sort of meets his match in mm. um mm. Mm-hmm. young people but i think the, the thing that's missing is that he's he's not kind enough because you can you can um you know we can forgive a lot from our heroes who've been arrogant and um and rude but he he, Mm. he's actually quite unkind to to freddie a little bit although i think he ends up respecting freddie but definitely to dolph he's quite unkind and his dealings with olivia are, are quite horrible as well so i think maybe you know, whereas maybe mm. he could be a hero in another type of book. He's just, um, he, he's just not quite there because he's not, he's ultimately not kind enough and not um, a, a bit too horrible. Yes, I, I agree. Um, I think in terms of Olivia, he says at one point that he, he wanted no unwilling mistress, which is good, but he's not above um, hoping that her desire to escape the really horribly creepy Sir Henry yeah. Gosford makes her willing enough to become his mistress. That That's not, to yeah. me, a free choice or a particularly willing choice. That's the best of a really awful situation. Um, yeah. So I don't love that. And I also dislike his attitude to Kitty. So I think at one point he says that he wasn't averse to her knowing that he has other women in his life. So clearly mm. was at no point planning to stop being a rake. Mm. Um and then also, like he, I think he refers to her as like a sleeping beauty or something like that. Like he likes her being stuck away in the country. He can snap his fingers whenever he wants, and you know he'll get her and the inheritance. And he doesn't care yeah. that she's living a really miserable, lonely, boring life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I mean, and you know, compared to Freddie, he's just not. You're not in the game, is he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's he he doesn't have the the hero qualities for me, other than the fact that he looks like one. Yeah, there was a bit in it where they said that he um has like a massive bouquet of flowers. In it, sorry, like um, what do you call it when you have a flower in your lapel? And I think Freddie had like a just a single kind of flower, and I think it sounded like Jack had a huge 
posy. Okay. And that's just a thing that Corinthians do. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes, so Jack Westruther, he's no Freddy. Oh, God, it was lovely to read that again, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, so, Rach. Sue. Wrapping this up, what should we read next? Wow. <laughs> it's a trick question, isn't it? <laughs> it is. We have come to the end of our reading list. Yes. So we haven't read all of Hayes' books, obviously, but we have gone through all the books, so the kind of the Regency and Georgian romances that we that we set out to do. So we are going to call it a day for this podcast now. Um, having said that, you know, months or years from now, maybe you'll hear us pop up to do a one-off special or, you know, maybe we'll decide to tackle histories or detective stories. Who knows? Never say never. Exactly. Who knows? It feels like a big moment, Rach. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So this has been, we've done this for three years now, have we? obviously with a bit of a, a corona gap in the mm. middle, but um, we mm. um, feels like we've been doing it for a long time and it's, uh, yeah, a bit of an end of an era, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, we are going to still be on Twitter and Instagram, by the way, so um, look out for us there and we'll probably pop up on Facebook every now and again. So we're still around and we still want to hear from you. Um, we're not disappearing entirely. Um, although obviously mine and Rachel's friendship has to end. We're done with that now, right, Rachel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the friendship predates quite a long time, the actual <laughs> the, the podcast, so it, it feels like a bit of a shame to be calling the whole thing a day, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have said a few times during this process, like, well, we have to at least remain friends until the end of the podcast series. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Uh, only you have said this. We don't have that tethering us together anymore, Rach. What's going to happen? <laughs> Just the last 25 years. Um, okay, all right, we'll stay friends. Stop begging, it's embarrassing. Um, do you want to jump in and thank some people, Rach? Uh, well, um, who do you thank? So I think just every, anyone that's um, that's engaged with um, with the podcast and commented and or reviewed and um, and has, has said how much they're in, they've enjoyed it or has... Um, has given us another opinion on Facebook or Twitter that we hadn't thought about before. Mm. Just thank you any, for everyone that's that's sort of in, engaged with it and that's listened. Um, and we really hope you've enjoyed it. And we, we've, um, yeah, we've loved hearing what you think of it. And it's been, um, it's been a pleasure because of our lovely listeners that come all across the globe. Yes, yes. I mean, when we started this, we had no idea if people would be interested in what is essentially teammates wittering on about Heia novels. But um, yeah, here we are. And we've had over 100,000 downloads so far. And yeah, and it's like Rachel says, it's definitely been your support that's kept us going. You've made it an absolute pleasure. And it's been amazing having you in our little Heia podcast gang. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, please imagine us giving you our very deepest curtsies. And take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye.